Open up your Bibles this morning. Um, we're going to be in Luke 17, and let me give you a um, maybe country music version of it this morning because I'm all stopped up, and so I have that little twang maybe in my voice, but uh, I, I promise that I won't break into song or dance. I'll just keep it more spoken word, if that's all right with everyone. But um, we are in Luke 17, and we're going to finish up Luke chapter 17 this morning. We've, we've been in a series on obedience, and we're going to continue forward with our series on obedience. And just asking a reflective question is, is this, that based on Acts chapter 5, verse 2, and 1 and 2, when Ananias and Sapphira brought money before the Lord as they sold a piece of property, they held some back. And so that's kind of been our question, is what are we holding back from the Lord um, in regards to any aspect of our relationship with him. Um, relationship, giving, prayer, reading the word, um, serving, um, stepping out of the boat, all that really, can, can, really falls under the umbrella of obedience. And so that's why we've been talking about obedience. And so we looked at the Lord's Supper and, um, in Luke 22 to begin with, and um, we concluded very, very easily that Jesus held nothing back, that he gave us everything of himself so that we may have life. And he gave us an example that we can follow in as well. We looked at Luke 17, we looked at the first part of Luke 17, where Jesus is teaching about forgiveness and asking um, his disciples, telling his disciples, you must forgive those who have wronged you. And their response of saying, well, seven times, uh, increase our faith. And Jesus says, no, you have enough faith. The faith of a mustard seed is enough. Just begin to put it into action. Forgive the first time. If they wrong you again, forgive them a second time. And you'll find that quickly that mustard seed of faith will grow into this great plant or bush within the garden. We also looked at the second part of, of Luke 17, which is the healing of the ten lepers, who basically... We talked about leprosy. When you have leprosy, you're dead. Um, you're, you're in a, a leper colony, and, and you're completely isolated from the world. You may be with other lepers, but you're isolated, and, and your life is over. You can't see your spouse. You can't hold your kids. You, there's nothing that you have to look forward to. But Jesus came, and he healed these men as they walked to Jerusalem. It, that was the thing of obedience. He said, go. He never touched them. He never said anything else. He just said, go and show yourself to the priests. And they obeyed immediately and went. And on the way, they were healed. But one of them turned back and came back to Jesus to thank him. The other nine, they didn't necessarily do anything bad. They probably went home and they were with their family rejoicing that they had their life back. But this one came back because he understood his depravity of his sinful nature, that, that, that he was dead, basically, and that Christ healed him. And how that relates to us, that we are dead in sin, that we're dead, and the wages of sin is death. Um, and when we understand our depravity, when we understand what Christ has given us, it really allows us to freely lay our heart before him and be completely obedient. Now, obedience is something that we're not going to get 100%, 100% of the time, right? That we're going to make some mistakes along the way. But there are certain things that we know that we're holding back, that we're, we may be unfaithful with in regards to, to following God's plans and purposes on our life. Now, the other side of this reflective question, I think, is a declaration of faith. And, and Shonda really um, said it last week, and, and if you were here, she shared a song and, and she danced. And in the beginning, before she did that, she gave this little um, exhortation, not a little exhortation, a short exhorta uh, exhortation. And, and she was talking about that so many times when we walk with the Lord, 
that we look at ourselves, you know, and if you don't know, she was Guilford County Teacher of the Year, and there's a lot that's being added on to her as a result of that. And she's just saying, yes, Lord, whatever you want me to do. But she was talking about how, how she feels inadequate at times. Is she a good teacher? Is she not a good teacher? And she didn't quite say it this way, but just feeling inadequate and the Lord asking her to do certain things, and her response is, yes, Lord. So the response to the reflective question, Lord, what am I holding back and beginning to see certain things, then is declaring by faith and taking that step of saying, yes, Lord, I'm going to do this. And when you look at certain things throughout the Bible, like Peter um, stepping out of the boat, let me move this because I think I'm getting some interference here. When Peter's stepping out of the boat, you know, basically he's saying, yes, Lord, yes, I believe that regardless of whether man can walk on water, if you call me out, then something's going to happen. You see the same with David and Goliath. As David stood before this giant, or even before, he's saying this giant's profaning the name of God and something must be done. And yes, Lord, you can use me. Again, he didn't fully know. Joshua, in the same way, as he led Israel through into the promised land, the, the Jordan's at this flood stage. There's, there's these great fortified cities. Ten of the spies came back from their, their trip into the land saying there's giants, there's no way we could ever win. And Caleb and Joshua said, yes, Lord, we can go and we can take this land. And so our response has to also be, yes, Lord, whatever you're doing, whatever you're asking me to do, I will certainly do it by faith. And so this morning as we get into the end of Luke 17, the title of this is Staying Sharp in the Faith, and, and really that's what Jesus is teaching his disciples. He's going to first talk to the Pharisees, which is a pattern we see that he'll, he'll briefly talk to the Pharisees, then he'll turn and he'll speak to his disciples in, in regards to formation, teaching them the ways of the kingdom and so, and so forth. Now some of this text we're going to get into this morning is, is properly used to proof text certain end time rapture theology, and I don't believe that is actually the point of, of this text, and I'm going to address that in a few moments. But starting in Luke 17, verse 20, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. He says, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God will come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is coming with something, is not coming with something observable. No one will say, look here or there, for you see the kingdom of God is among you. So the Pharisees are coming, they're asking Jesus, Jesus, we may just join with you if you can show us some of the visible things of your kingdom. Can you show us your armies? Can you show us what your kingdom's going to look like? Because in their mind, they were thinking of the Roman Empire. They were thinking of, of the soldiers they saw, the Roman soldiers. They were thinking of the boundaries that were drawn throughout the Roman Empire to show the width and the, and the length and the power of this Roman Empire. And they're saying, look, Jesus, if you can show us some of this, we may just join with you because we know there's going to be an advantage. And Jesus, like he does so often with the Pharisees, he quickly corrects them and kind of throws something out that's a little bit different. He says, look, the kingdom, my kingdom, the kingdom of God is not observable in that way. No one will say, look here or look there, for the kingdom of God is among you. It's in your midst. And there could be a play on words here. Most, most scholars recognize there could be a play on words where Jesus is saying, I'm the kingdom of God. I'm in your midst. Do you not see that? But in reality, what God is saying, I believe what Jesus is saying, is that God's kingdom is built from the inside out, where it starts within your heart. 
God is about transforming our lives. He's about transforming our hearts. And he begins to work on our hearts internally. And as he works on our hearts internally, then things flow out externally. You can see it in, in probably your own life if you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. In my own life, I remember as I, as I came to, to understand more of, of what relationship was when I was 15, 16, there were certain things that God began to change from the inside out. That if I had read a self-help book or, or followed these five or six steps, it, it wouldn't have changed necessarily. But because I surrendered and said, God, only you can change this, begin to work in my heart. That, that the change came about. And that's what the kingdom of God is all about. Now he turns to his disciples in verse 22. And, and these are always words that, that we like to hear necessarily. And we think, well, maybe he's just saying it to his disciples. Maybe he's not saying it to us as disciples, but he really is. Verse 22, he says, The days are coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you won't see it. He's talking about suffering. They will say to you, look there, look here. Don't follow or run after them. For as the light lightens, or the lightning, excuse me, for as the lightning flashes from horizon to horizon and lights up the sky, so the Son of Man will be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So Jesus is telling his disciples, get ready to suffer because you're going to suffer. And you're going to suffer in ways that, well, we know how they're going to suffer because they all died. They all were crucified, basically, all the disciples in some form or fashion. And those who survived that, that heard these words, Jerusalem was conquered in around 70 A.D. The four years leading up was just a horrendous time of persecution for Christians um, in the Roman Empire. So Jesus is saying, you're going to suffer, and you're going to suffer so much that you're going to long for my return. And in fact, there's going to be times when you're longing for my return. You're going to hear rumors that I have come back. People are going to say, look over there, Jesus here. Or people are going to look right here and say, I'm Jesus, I've returned. And he's telling the disciples, don't be fooled by that. And for us, it's a great reminder that we're not to be fooled necessarily by rumors that we know when the world's going to end or when people say, well, Jesus has visited me or God has returned because the verses here say lightning will flash from horizon to horizon and the sky will light up. It's going to be announced pretty clearly. This is also found in other places in the Bible. First Thessalonians talks about how Jesus is going to come back and, and the proclamation that's going to be there. So whether it's night or day throughout the world, the world's going to know that Jesus has come back. Whether it's wintertime in the southern hemisphere and, and summertime in the northern, the world's going to know it's going to be clear. This is also how we begin to define what a cult is or, or begin to kind of filter out what certain cults might be. You know, the David Koresh, I don't know if you guys remember David Koresh and all that. I remember I was much younger and don't know the whole things, but I believe he claimed to be Christ incarnate, um, that, that he was back and all that. Well, it doesn't fit into, this, into the scripture. Jehovah Witnesses, Russell, I believe is his name, in, in 1915, 1917, the, the, the thing is that Jesus secretly met with them. Jesus came back and met with them in secret, and he laid out this great plan for them. But it doesn't match up to Scripture. So when you hear that Jesus has returned, or, or he has come, or, or he's here, he's there, unless it's been announced to everyone, it's, it's not going to be the case. Verse 25, Jesus brings it back. He says, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. He's saying, look, those are things you don't quite understand yet, 
But let's, let's, be, let's come back to the present because I'm going to have to suffer. And as I suffer, you also are going to have this mark on you to where you're going to suffer as you, mark, as you go forward. And really, all this is just kind of a little bit of housekeeping stuff, I believe, that Jesus is telling his disciples. To get to the main point, starting here in verse 26, is that we must, or as to his disciples, but also us as his disciples, must stay sharp in our faith. We must continue to have our uh, orientation towards the purposes of God and not kilter to something else, looking at God or glancing at God from time to time, but to be fully positioned and fully square to God and to his purposes. Verse 26, he says, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People went on eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day of Noah boarded the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. It will be the same as it was in the days of Lot. People went on eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. But on, that day, uh, but on the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. And it will be like that on the day the Son of Man was revealed. Now, nothing bad necessarily going on in the days of Noah or in the days of Lot. These are not bad things. They're eating and they're drinking and they're marrying and giving in marriage, as he says in verse 27. In verse 28, in, in regards to what's going on in the days of Lot, eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. Now, when I read this, I kind of get two different categories come to mind. The social aspect, the, the eating, drinking, marrying, giving marriage. And then there's the other side of, of the marketplace aspect, which also includes eating and drinking, but buying, selling, planting, and building. See, these people are going about their business doing things that aren't inherently bad or evil, but they weren't ready, they weren't prepared. And, and in essence, in the days of Noah, the, the word tells us in Genesis they were doing a lot of evil stuff. They, they, they didn't really have any relationship or, or any regard to God or towards God or any fear of God. And all of a sudden the flood came. They were going about their normal business and the flood came. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to come back at some point. Are you ready? Will you be ready? You know, one thing I've learned just being in the, in the Army Reserves is there's kind of two aspects, one I like and one I don't like. One is the meeting side, and I don't like that because I'm in these two or three hour meetings when maybe they'll ask me one question, if that. The other side is free time, where I just have the, the luxury to do whatever I want to, which is the ministry of presence, where I can just walk around, talk to the, 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 the men and women, and, and just, um, just figure out where they're at. But in the meetings, there's one meeting I go to, it's the commander's brief meeting, and, and it's this 70 to 75 slide PowerPoint. And so each slide comes up, and you're just looking at it like, oh my gosh, someone's going to have to talk about this for five or ten minutes. And it's all about readiness. It's, it's every platoon or company, are they ready from medical to dental to being qualified in, to, in terms of their job, uh, being qualified in terms of, of driving a vehicle, all this stuff, and there's all these percentages. And I'm like, this is so boring. But the essence is because any unit could be deployed at any time, they must be ready. And in the same way, we must ask ourselves the same question is, are we ready for Christ to return? Are we ready? And are others that we maybe we have some responsibility for ready as well in terms of sharing God's love and message with them? Our orientation must be towards God and towards his purposes in all times and all places. American Christianity sometimes, 
there's a lot of strengths, but we also have this negative side or a weakness of sometimes being complacent, sometimes just, just plateauing at certain levels and being comfortable and, and sometimes even folding in our faith and going through the motions. And this is a good reminder that we are to stay sharp in our faith. You know, Jesus says, eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. There's a social side of this. And there's nothing wrong with social you know, having friends and, and wanting to be popular and, and having social media accounts, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But when our focus is on that and, and not oriented towards God, then there may be a problem. The same in marketplace. There's nothing wrong with career and titles and, and, and you know, making money and, and those things. But when that becomes our focus and God is not primarily our focus, Jesus is saying there's, there's a misorientation there and we need to be oriented towards him. He goes on in verse 31, kind of saying the same thing. And most of the time when we read these verses, we're thinking of a Left Behind series. And I just want to say this up front is, is you know, end-time theology, I think, is, is, is a, unessential in some ways. It is an essential to our faith in terms of what salvation is. I'm not saying it's not important, but, you know, there's some different time, there's some different thoughts to end-time theology, premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial, things like that. And I'll put it to you this way. I believe that Jesus is coming back, and as Scripture shows very clearly that the saints who have died before us will be gathered up first, and those that are living will be gathered up after that. And at some point, and this is where there's a little bit of a differentiation, at some point, the remaining people will be gathered up before the Lord. Now, whether it's a time period or not, I won't go into that this morning, but it's kind of following this in some ways. Verse 31 He's saying, on that day, a man on the housetop whose belongings are in the house must not come down to get them. Likewise, the man who is in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's uh, wife, who, tried to, yeah, who tries, or whoever tries to make his life secure will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two will be in one bed. One will be taken, the other will be left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken, and the other left. Two will be in a field, one will be taken, and the other will be left. Now, maybe your focus is more on those last three verses because, you know, some of the end time stuff and different things like that. And regardless of, of what that time frame is, there, there's going to be a time when one will be grinding and one will be taken. One will be in the field, one will be taken, whether it's instantaneous or whether there's some years in between. But that's not the focus of what Jesus is talking about here. The focus is actually is on verse 33 where he says, whoever tries to make his life secure will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Basically, he's saying, stay sharp in your faith. Stay focused on the purposes of God. Stay doing what you're supposed to be doing. And he's speaking to the disciples because he's telling them, look, you're going to suffer. And there's going to be times when you're going to suffer so bad that you're going to long for me to return. And there's going to be people crying out that Jesus is over here or Jesus is over there. And you'll want to run to that. But don't be fooled because the announcement of my return is going to be clear and obvious. If it's not that way, keep your hand to the plow. Keep your eyes on the, on the, on the purpose and continue to move forward. Paul talks about running the race. And he's saying, who cut in on you? And Paul says, continue to run the race. Get back up and run the race. Set your eyes on the prize. Galatians 2, 19 and 20. Can you bring this up, Josiah? The second part, 
of this. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. This is the end of, of verse 19. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is echoing. Paul's echoing Jesus' words here. That if you want to secure your life, you're probably going to lose it. Because the way that we secure our life many times is by the ways of the world. Whether it's in, in the social aspect or the marketplace aspect, and I think everything falls under that. None of that's inherently bad. But if our focus is on that and securing it that way, Jesus says, you're going to lose. And Paul says it as well. But whoever wants to lose their life will actually preserve it. Isaiah says that, here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, use me. Jesus says this in, in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 25. That if, that, bring it up, Josiah. It says, then he said to them all, if anyone wants to come to me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Look, go back to a second. Look at these words, because, it, because it's familiar. Sometimes we don't think about this so, so closely because it's so familiar. If anyone wants to come to me, you must deny yourself. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Verse 24. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whatever loses his life because of me will save it. Verse 25. What is a man benefited if he gains the whole world yet forfeits or loses and forfeits himself? Scripture speaks very clearly. These are not always easy words to, to look at. You know, what's holding us back? What are the things? Jesus is saying to his disciples here in Luke 17, stay sharp. Stay on purpose with God. Continue to push forward. Continue to do what God's called you to do. In the midst of the storm, continue to do what God's called you to do. Know what your purposes are. You know, if you've never, if you've never come into that relationship, that may be the first thing is, is it coming in and, and, and saying, Lord, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. Jesus, I need you. Understanding the depravity of, of what sin does. It separates us from God. And he offers a relationship that he himself came to earth and went to the cross and died for us so we may have a relationship. And we don't have to earn it. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to look a certain way. We don't have to have a certain thing, you know, in our status or so much money in our bank account. It's, it's given freely to every single one of us and to receive that. And then to continue to walk forward in life, not securing our life by our own means, but standing as, as Isaiah and others have done before with their arms in a, in a posture of surrender saying, here I am, Lord, send me and use me. The disciples were really the same way. They were saying, Lord, we want to be used by you. Yet they didn't fully understand that. And, and sometimes we're that way too. We say, Lord, use me, but I want it to be easy. I want it without struggle. I want the success at the end without fighting through it. I see people who've gone before me. I see my grandparents or, or people of that generation, or I see you know, this person, and I want to be just like them, but we don't always know the struggle that they went through. We don't always know the things they've laid down. We don't always know that they've been oriented so many times towards God in prayer and in the Word and, and in so many other things. And, and the titles and, and the promotions and things have just come. Not in that they've been seeking them just because the Lord rewards them. The Word tells us that we're to be ministers of reconciliation, which means that we're going to all sectors of society and, and be representations of Him. As He changes from the inside out that we're representing Him, that God calls us into the marketplace. And that's what's interesting about these last three verses, is you have two that are in the bed together. 
There's nothing wrong with rest and being in the bed, right? That's maybe the social aspect. Two, two are grinding the grain and two are in the field. They're doing the things of marketplace or, a, or social. But yet, one is focused on, on the, the purpose of that and one is more focused upon the purpose of God. There's nothing wrong with saying, Lord, use me in these places. But the Lord wants us to remain sharp in our faith and focused upon Him. Verse 37 says, Where, Lord? The disciples remember what the Pharisees had asked them. The Pharisees said, When will this happen? So they say, Where, Lord? And He said to them, Where the corpse is, there also will be vulture, or there also the vultures will gather. Jesus is using a common proverb to say, This is going to happen. At some point, it's bound to happen. When all the necessary conditions are filled, this will all happen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, and, and I haven't given this verse to the back, so it basically says, test yourself to see if you are faithful. You know, it's a verse I don't always like to read because there's, there's that aspect of coming face-to-face with the Word, coming face-to-face with God and and if I'm true to my heart, if I'm true to myself, to say, okay, Lord, here I am. I'm testing my faith. Am I loving people the way I need to love people? Am I giving? Am I in relationship? Is my orientation towards you in the way that it needs to be? We all can probably answer that, that question by, by saying, mm, probably not the way it needs to be. We don't always want to say no. But there's room for us to grow, Definitely. And that's my encouragement that the verse 33 of Luke 17 says, whoever tries to make his life secure will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. Are we really willing to come before the Lord and lay it all bare and say, Lord, here's my heart. Lord, this area here I'm holding back and, and it's because of a hurt or because of a fear. Lord, remove that. Lord, this area right here I know I'm holding back. It's just because maybe I don't trust you. And there's nothing wrong with having some of these honest conversations with the Lord. And as the Lord deals with us, then coming out of that place and making a declaration, yes, Lord, I want my orientation towards you and for you. I want to stay sharp in my faith. I want to continue to go forward in building the kingdom of God from the inside out, continue to transform me so that I, so that I may be used to transform others. Jesus encouraging his disciples here because he knows what lies ahead. We're all young in this room in some form or fashion. We're all young. We all have long life ahead of us. He doesn't want us to stay just at a plateau, just in a comfort place. You've heard me say this many times before. This room is filled, this church is filled with people who have immense talents. People who are, who are called to change the world. It's not just something that's said flippantly to go, hey, you can go change the world, to have a great impact. It's not always, hey, I, I changed this or I changed that. Sometimes it's very subtly. There's people here who are called to use their talents, to use the giftings. But it would be wrong if, 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 if you set on them. It would be wrong not to encourage you to get up off them and begin to put them into action. Just as the disciples said earlier in chapter 17, Lord, give us more faith. Increase our faith. Jesus says to all of us, look, you have the faith already. Begin to put it into action. There's things God's calling you to. There's things God's calling all of us to. And some of us are just nervous about it. Some of us are holding back saying, I don't know. 
Some of it's going deeper in this relationship with God. Some of it's, it's, it's stepping out and saying, I'm going to take on this leadership thing in my job that my boss has been asking me, but I've been so resistant to it, but you know it's the Lord. Other, it may be doing something within the family. Hey, we're going to have a family devotion time. I know we've been meaning to do it, but we're going to do it. Whatever it may be, now's the time. The Lord exhorts us and encourages us to stay sharp within that. So Lord, we pray this morning, as we look at your word, as your word encourages us, Lord, that we'll continue to stay sharp as disciples, as followers of you. Lord, that you will use us in amazing ways. Lord, I thank you for the gifts and the talents that you've given us. Lord, just as Jesus is preparing his disciples for their greater calling, to go into all the world and continue to take the gospel to the far ends of the earth. Lord, I thank you that you're preparing us in the same way. Thank you you've been asking us that question of where we're holding back, where we may be keeping things back from you. But Lord, there's the other side. And this morning, that's the declaration we make. We say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. We don't know how. We don't know why. We don't know in in what capacity, but we say, yes, Lord. Lord, just as Joshua took the Israelites into the promised land and looked at the city of Jericho, heavily fortified, he said, yes, Lord, with you it's possible. Just as David stood before the giant and said, yes, Lord, with you it's possible. So, Lord, in the same way, we say, yes, Lord. to every one of us this morning. But Lord, also empower us by your Holy Spirit to put these things into action. We thank you, Lord. We honor you. Lord, I pray a blessing over each person in this room. Bless them. Bless their coming and their going. Lord, I pray just for great week ahead. I pray for your presence to be strong in all of our lives as we come to you in prayer and reading our word in so many other ways, Lord. May your presence just be strong upon us. Thank you that you go with us every step of the way. Lord, I pray for those that are looking at mountains and challenges right now and even feeling that stress or anxiety whether it be at work or whether it be something else. Lord, I pray for your peace. I pray just your word that says that you make a way where there seems to be no way. And so, Lord, I pray that this week we will see your goodness in the, in the land of the living, not just once or twice, but many, many times, over and over and over. And that it will just humble us in ways where we scratch our head and laugh and say, thank you, Jesus. Only you could have done that. Thank you, Lord. We honor you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. We are dismissed.